welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. Great greeting. I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Jim. All right, so I got to do this yesterday. Uh, because we also have a online version of the of the sermon. So yesterday, I go in and I and I, I f- I'm feeling like I'm prepared, but I'm you know it's the first time talking doing this talk. And inside of the studio, the only person you have to talk to is the video camera and then a plastic Jesus that's about that tall sitting on top of the on top of the camera. And then Pastor Jim and Sal are in the back of the room, and I like all by myself and like. Plastic Jesus, man. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. And uh, so I walked away from that yesterday. And Jim, gracious, he's like, man, that was a great job. I know you're developing this topic and it's part of the uh, Men of Growth curriculum. I mean, this sermon that I'm going to give today is about a six to eight week package that's in 40 minutes. And uh, I walked away last night, and I, I was a little disconnected. I'm, I critique, you know, the stuff pretty good. And I went to bed. And I don't know if this was subliminal because I'm looking at Plastic Jesus the whole time yesterday, but uh, I just laid down and I, I was praying like, Lord, I use this. And he just said, just show him me. Just point him to me. And I went to bed and I was like, I got it. Okay, cool. I can get out of the way. It's not, a, it's not about me and my delivery. It's about <laughs> him doing the work. And so I, I think he has something for all of us today. So with that being said, we got to go into the word. If you have your Bible, please open to Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. Uh, If you're going to use it electronically and you don't have an NIV translation, I'm using the NIV. You can follow along there. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have it on your phone, it's going to be up on the slides uh, here on the screen. So Matthew chapter four. Now I got a, I got a group of my own tribe here. A lot of Oaks Christian kids are here today. They call me Mr. Moe. And uh, they always, they're, they're really good about telling you the truth. So when I do chapels and stuff and I say, okay, open up your Bible. And then I go to that passage and I just start reading. They're like, Mr. Mo, like I'm not there yet. So slow down, stop. So I'm going to give you time to get there. All right. That's something that the students have taught me. Matthew chapter four. We're going to start in verse number one and we're going to read and we're just going to unpack as we go. So here we go. Matthew chapter four, starting at verse one. It says, then Jesus was led by the, what's it say? Led by, this is how I know you're paying attention. It was led by the, the spirit. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the, the devil. Two things. we got to stop right here. Number one is that he was led by the spirit to be tempted. The word tempted is not the best translation. It should be that he was tested because he was led by the spirit. The spirit doesn't tempt. The spirit will send you into a time of testing. 
See, as a teacher, I don't sit in the classroom and give these guys temptations on a Friday afternoon. I give them tests on a Friday afternoon, which they dislike. And the test reveals something. It pulls something out of us and it has extreme value in it. And so when it says that the spirit is what led Jesus into the wilderness, it was for a time of pulling something out, not only for him at the time, but for us today. So we've got to, we got to dive into that. We got to lean into that. Verse two. After fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. Very understandable. He intentionally made himself as vulnerable as a human could to go out to do the testing. That means he's going to have to rely on something other than himself. And in this case, it's going to be the spirit. Let's keep going. Verse three, the tempter came to him and said, If, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That's a big deal. He's questioning something about Jesus by saying, if you're the son of God, then do this. And Jesus answered and said, well, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. We've got to stop right here again. The devil. Two times this has been used, right? Do you notice something about the word devil? It doesn't have a capital D in front of it. What does a capital D signify in a name? A proper noun. A proper noun. This doesn't have a capital D in front of it because it's not a proper name. It is a noun that describes something. It's diabolos in Greek, and it means adversary. It means liar. It means manipulator. And it has many layers to it, and not just a being. It's got lots of depth to it. And it's signified by not putting a capital D there, and we're going to see why here in a bit. Verse 6. If, here it is again, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, and he said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Hmm. Again. The devil, the adversary, the liar, the deceiver, the manipulator took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said, all of this I will give you if you will bow down to worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan. Satan is an attachment to the Old Testament, the Satan, and it also is a play on language and words about an adversary, a liar, a manipulator. And every good Jew would have known what he was talking about because, you know, Jesus was Jewish. This is a very Jewish book. And we got to understand that. In verse 11, then the devil left him 
And angels came and attended him. He got some rest after doing the work. But what a couple of things we've got to notice here is that the scriptures have layers to them. And I can't think of any better person to tell us about layers than Rabbi Shrek. If y'all remember Shrek, he talked about layers. So watch this video real quick. We gotta have a little humor. Okay, let me get this straight. You're gonna go fight a dragon and rescue a princess just so Farquaad to give you back a swamp, which you only don't have because he filled it full of freaks in the first place. Is that about right? You know what? Maybe there's a good reason donkeys shouldn't talk. I don't get it, Shrek. Why don't you just pull some of that ogre stuff on him? You know, throttle him, lay siege to his fortress, grind his bones to make your bread. You know the whole ogre trip. Oh, I know what. Maybe I could have decapitated an entire village and put their heads on a plate, got the knife, cut open their spleen, and drink their fluids. Does that sound good to you? Uh, no, not really, no. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay, um, ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Oh, they make you cry? No. Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No. Layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers. You get it. We both have layers. <sighs> oh, you both have layers. Oh. You know, not everybody like onions. Cake. Everybody loves cakes. Cakes have layers. I don't care. What everyone likes. Ogres are not like cakes. You know what else everybody like? Parfait. Have you ever met a person you say, hey, let's get some parfait. They say, hell no, I don't like no parfait. Parfaits are delicious. No! You dense, irritating, miniature beast of burden. Ogres are like onions. End of story. Bye-bye. See you later. That, that has a whole sermon in itself. I, I do a lot of work with men and marriage, and that's a lot of marriages that I see in the way they talk to each other. And there's a lot of this going back and forth. But the point of it is, is that I love what Shrek talks about with layers because the scriptures are like layers. The reason I refer to Shrek as rabbi is because that's a little play on the way the ancient rabbis, you and Jesus was known as a rabbi. Jesus always told stories in layers. And so if we look at this chart that I'm going to bring up here, the, the rabbis of the past would teach their people through a particular uh, uh, style of interpretation, and that was called their yoke. They actually had a way of looking at the scriptures and interpreting it, and it was their yoke. And when they were teaching their people how to read the scriptures, at some point, the students would apply to a rabbi to see if they could move from their basic training into advanced training to become a rabbi themselves. And then what would happen is, as they would apply for that, the rabbi, if the rabbi said, I think you could do what I do, I think you could wear my yoke and learn how to interpret the way I do, they would say to the student, come and follow me. 
That statement is not unique to Jesus, even though we hear it all throughout the scriptures. That was known. That's why when Jesus went to the disciples and said, come and follow me, they're like, yes, a rabbi that already rejected me, and now one that says I can do what he does, I'm going. And every parent would have said, go on, you're going to Princeton, you're going to Harvard. And that's what's happening here. And this layered interpretation has these four elements. The first one's called the Peshat. The Peshat in Hebrew is, it's like a plain surface level reading uh, that has, uh, it's like a direct reading. But then there's another layer, which is the remez. The remez is like an allegorical reading. It's just under the service. There's something a little more there. And then the third layer of the interpretation and study would be the darash. And the darash is, it's deeper. It's how all of the different elements of a story connect to one another like puzzle pieces. And then there is metaphor in it. And you've got to understand the context and the historical narrative that's going on. But then you also have the sowed. Everybody say sowed. The sowed is the interpretive lens of the deep secret that is in it, the, the more mystical or the hidden meaning. But it, the rabbis believed that this had to be revealed, that the spirit of God had to bring, bring revealing into the mind of the interpreter to understand this depth. And Jesus is speaking from this perspective all the time. And this story that we just read has layer upon layer, but we're only going to deal with two today. Something that happens when we look at this is we have to ask the question, where did the story come from? We know that these accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are eyewitness testimony. These people were with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They, they were with him and they wrote down what he said. But in this story, it's the only one we have where he's by himself. Jesus is by himself. There were no witnesses. So where did the story come from? Jesus would have told it to him himself. Let me tell you what happened to me one time. And this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the stories are similar, but some arrangements are different. So there's purpose in it. And the purpose is, it's, it's telling something to us about our humanity. And so when we look at this, we can also learn the layers of interpretation out of Christian art. Christian art reveals something to us over the course of the centuries. Now, I'm going to show you some art pieces, and if you can't see it, watch your glasses, but I'll explain it in, in the back. It might be hard to see. So if we look at this, this is actually St. Mark's Basilica in Venice, Italy. It was built in about the 12th century, 1150 AD, and over in this archway, we see this painting. It's Venetian art from the Romanesque period where it's actually capturing this story right here, but when we zoom in on it, we see that it is, it's, it's a little rough, but we see the three parts of the story and we see a creature that represents the devil, this adversary. But look at it closely. It's got horns on its head. It's got wings on it. It's kind of suspended in the air and it's kind of got this like lizard eye, like, you know, gargoyle type of feature to it. Because that's the way that they interpreted the story back then, that evil was represented by this ugly, nasty thing, and it is. But let's fast forward to the 15th century, and let's go to the Sistine Chapel that is in Rome, Italy, inside of the Vatican. 
This particular place has, you see the circle, there is a, a um, fresco painted on the south wall. And if we zoom in on it, you see on the top left is the beginning of the story of this temptation or this testing. You move to the middle and you have Jesus up at the high point with the devil. And then you go to the right and the devil's being cast off the hill. But if we zoom in, there's a whole lot of stuff going underneath, which is a whole nother sermon. But if we zoom in on it, the devil is now a monk. Hmm. But if you look at the foot real close, it kind of has a scaly lizard-like foot that identifies there's something under the clothing. They were beginning to interpret by saying, you know what? Evil is not so easy to see. Sometimes there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus talked about this all the time. He said, so now there's a new layer of interpretation here, generations removed. But then we can go to another layer. If we move to the next picture, we see that there was a guy by the name of Ari Schaefer. He was kind of a neoclassical romantic artist, and he's capturing the way they would look at this at the time. And you'll notice that Satan in this picture, or the devil, the adversary, is good looking, physique is chiseled. The, 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 it's a human form. It's beautiful. Got the wings to represent that it's not quite human. It's something different. But this represents that evil can also be wrapped in beauty. In fact, we would even say today that to be a great adversary or a manipulator or a liar, you need to look really good. That's how you deceive. And that's what's happening in the art. And Here's the, here's the crazy thing, is that it, I, I got to go to Israel three times in the last few years, and I've been to the Mount of Temptation. It's right outside Jericho. And when you go there, there's actually a monastery built into the side of the hills to represent what happened there. But the question becomes, if we back up in history, was this a real physical event? Or is there something deeper? Or is it both? The next picture, I'm just standing there and uh, just revealing that I really went there. (laughs) But that's part of the layers of the story. And Jesus came to deal with that on our behalf. If we go a little further, there's this passage in scripture to where we're looking at the layers of this interpretation to where if you go into 2 Corinthians, where the apostle Paul, Rabbi Paul, is sharing a story about this battle, this warfare that we're in, he says, he says for, those, or for though we walk in the flesh, in this body, we walk in this body, we are not waging war according to this body, to the flesh. It's something more, there's layers. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Say strongholds. I'll wake you up. Strongholds. How many of you guys feel like you have strongholds in your life? Some things that just keep coming up over and over again, like, I I, got to get rid of this thing. Am I the only one? No. I know I'm not. Even you young people. (laughs) I live with you. But look what he says. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
There is something sitting in this passage and Jesus is dealing with it inside the story to where sometimes the adversary, this manipulation, this lie is actually not a physical form. It's, it, when we see the demons and we associate everything that's evil with the demon or the gargoyle or whatever, I think we're missing it because it's so easy to d- dismiss those characters. Those aren't real. Ain't no such thing. And we go about our way. Evil is something deeper and it happens in our mind. We pick up stories. Every single one of us picks up stories and experiences throughout our life. We actually are born into a certain home with a certain set of parents, and then we start traveling through school, and then we start picking up stories. Maybe we've been bullied. Maybe there's been gossip. Maybe somebody said something about us that is untrue, and we wear it, and we start putting all of this on us, and it's all existing in our minds. And when we let those stories play out, They tell us something that's not true about who we are. And Jesus came to deal with this. Check this out. I love this this saying. It says, there is an evil spirit that is present beyond our human capacity to understand and greater than our human efforts to overcome. There is this something that's happening that is in this space that we pick up and we can't always overcome it ourselves. And again, Jesus came to deal with this. There is a divine spirit that is available to us to fight this battle. But let's look at the next layer. So we dealt with this evil thing and that there's more to it than just the eyes see, but Jesus did something else. So if we back up in the story to chapter three, and we'll have it on the screen here, if we back up in chapter three, we have a situation where John, by the name of John the baptizer, baptizes Jesus. Jesus gets taken under the water in a ritual cleansing, and he comes out of the water, and then this happens. Verse number 17, 317 says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Bam, mic drop. Right at that moment, God the Father is giving Jesus his identity. There is no other identity under the sun except for what God says about Jesus, and it's his son. And then it says, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So Jesus gives his identity from something outside of himself. God the Father puts identity on him, and then the very next passage says, and then the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. Now watch what happens after the story we just shared where he's in the wilderness and he gets tested. If we keep going in chapter four, we get to chapter four, verse 17, we see that from time to time, or from that time on, sorry, from that time on, Jesus began to what? He began to preach and teach a story that we call gospel. That's the Greek word for good news. And what Jesus is preaching is, check it out, these are Jesus' words. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Now, 
when I first started being a church going guy, I started going, I heard these sermons all the time about repent and be baptized. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the pastor would always say, okay, your repentance is you're walking one way in life and you're a sinner and you're doing all these sinful things, which are true. But repentance means to turn 180 degrees in the other direction and you walk this way and walk away from that sin. And that is, that is true. But Jesus, the way he's using it here, he's saying, repent, change your mind about what I'm teaching you. He's talking to Jews that would have known all the Old Testament. And he's saying, I know you think you know what's going on, but I'm taking you to different layers. Change your mind about what I'm teaching you, and then the kingdom of God will be yours right now. Because the kingdom of God exists between these two ears right here. It's something happening in our mind as well as in God's sovereign power. And we only got to two layers. There's 10 more layers to this story. And he did this on our behalf. And so if we look at Jesus, what we see is God the Father gave him his identity. Now think about it. How many of you guys have had somebody say something about you and you, you wore it, it stuck to you? Or a story about yourself that stuck to you? If your identity is in Christ and he, you are his daughter, you are his son, which you are, the Bible says that all human beings are image bearers, that means it doesn't matter what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter what the bully says about you. It doesn't matter about what the lie and the story is about you. It doesn't matter about the gossip about you because God is the author of your identity, not those people. Isn't that good news? Come on, say amen. That is good news. And Jesus came to deal with that because we're human. And this is not something you get at the surface level. you got to peel back the layers of the onion to get to this place. And that's what he's offering us. Now, Jesus' identity is wrapped in what we like to call biblical archetypes. An archetype, right? An archetype, you see him up here, four biblical... Ar- an archetype is an original pattern or model on which others are based. In the world of psychology, they talk about archetypes. And in the world of mythology, they talk about archetypes. Every great story that we're attracted to in the movies has archetypes, and we can connect with them. That's why we go spend our money and watch these movies. But in the Bible, there are four archetypes that Jesus fits, and he is the fullness of all these archetypes. He, and we're going to load this on the website so you guys can have it if you go to the, the church website. Now, we're going to walk through these, but here's one of the problems. Jesus is the prototype. He is the original. And when you study psychology and mythology, they're like, look at this. We see these monomyths, this one myth story and these heroes journey and all this and psychology and mythology will use these for personal growth and development, but there's always something a little empty in these and, and missing, and it's Christ. That's the emptiness in them, but we're attracted to them. But they're the same thing that attracts us to Christ. Watch this. Jesus as a king, and I'll explain the charts here in a second. Jesus as a king. In John 18, don't go to the slide yet. Don't go, just leave this one up and then we'll go. Jesus said one time, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom is from another place. 
And so Pilate, he's having a conversation with this guy named Pilate, and Pilate says, so you're a king? And Jesus says, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason that I was born to come into this world is to testify to that truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And he's saying, I am a king, but not like what you see. I'm a king in full. So when we look at the chart, we see these four archetypes. King, which is a provider. Warrior, which is a protector. Prophet, which is a mentor. And then we see priest, which is a lover. And when we look at these, Jesus exemplifies them in the full, but in our world, in our humanity, we oftentimes live in the shadows and we are shadow kings, shadow priests, shadow warriors. And so we have a tendency to the, collecting the stories and believing in the stories about ourselves and then we live in them and then we are kings that are sometimes tyrants or weaklings. And even though I'm talking about this in the masculine because it's Jesus, this is as much about the ladies as it is about the, the males. We have a king and a queen. We have a warrior and a warrioress, also known as a huntress. We have a prophet and a prophetess, and we have priests and priestess. This is about us and who we are, right? And Jesus lived these in the full, and each one of these has shadow elements. Look at the warrior. He's a protector, but the warrior can be a bully. The warrior can be a coward. The prophet can be a manipulator and a know-it-all if it's not fully developed, the, the lover, the priest, can be an addict, also an avoider. Oh, man, I'm an avoider. Now, look at this. Let's look at the fullness of Jesus. Now we can go to the verses, right? We, we talked about the king verse, and now what we're going to do is we're going to jump forward, and we're going to go to looking at Jesus as warrior. So as warrior, in the book of Revelation, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. These are titles. With justice, he judges and wages war. The only people that wage war are warriors, or warrioresses, huntresses. He dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name was the Word of God. John refers to him as the word of God, Jesus. Talking about Jesus here. The armies of heaven were following him and on his robe, on his thigh, he, was, uh, he, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's a king warrior or a warrior king. He's the fullness expression of these. Let's look at this one. Look at the prophet. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Everybody, everybody believed in Moses the prophet. Jesus was greater than Moses. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. This comes out of the book of Acts. This is Peter talking about this. He's like, man, this is everything we've been waiting for. He is the fulfillment of everything we have fallen short of. And now we get to step into it. And then the last one, the last one, and we're going to start to land the plane, the priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest 
who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. I'm going to stop right here for a second. Jesus never asks anyone to go further than he was willing to go himself. And Jesus went all the way. He never asks you to do anything that he hasn't already done himself, and he went all the way. This says that let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Guys, it, sometimes we come to church to get this warm, fuzzy feeling and to be expired with a message that feels good and we leave there good, and then we get addicted to that inspiration and that motivation, and it doesn't sink into the belly of our soul, and then we go through and we live in our shadows and our faith isn't doing anything for us. You have to do something with the faith, and Jesus came to deal with the stuff so that we could have faith in him and him do a work in us. That's what makes him the high priest. Look at, look at what he goes on to say. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He did not fall short. He did not live in the shadow of who he was made to be. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? With what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, dealing with our shadows. Just to talk about this shadow thing, a shadow archetype is is most frequently a negative entity that represents things that we do not like about ourselves or that come out of us that we know we need to deal with. Sometimes they're unconscious. They just are an operating system. Our shadows are who we would rather not be, often being strongholds in our life that hold us back from our fullness. I can't spend a lot of time on these next slides, but we're going to load them up on the website for you. Look at this. Look at this next chart. In this chart, here's the king, the provider. The left column is a list of what a king, a true provider in full looks like. The middle and second columns are columns that show us what a shadow is in the tyrant and what a shadow of the weakling is. These are behaviors and personality traits that often are pushed way down in the unconscious mind and they operate in the background and they cause problems in our relationships. Jesus came to deal with those. Look at the next one. The warrior, the protector, same thing. We have our mature aspects of who we are, and then we have the shadow versions. Look at, look at, the sun's over there. Here's all the wonderful trees. I'm standing here. If I move out, my shadow is right there, and all these beautiful shadows. We all have them. That shadow is a representation of me, but it's not all of me. This is the fullness of me, but metaphorically speaking, I still have the shadow in me, and I need it to be dealt with so that I can know how to love my wife the way she needs to be loved when all her little irritations are bugging me. And instead of saying something about it, I needed to have a different approach. <laughs> but that has to be bigger than myself because I'm not real good by myself. 
Amen. Everybody guy, every guy. Amen. Okay. We go to the next one. Prophet is a mentor. Look, the prophet, and I'm not talking about being this super like Gandalf guy, right? Or Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm talking about a prophet that has a deep spiritual connection with the Lord that can mentor other people from their wisdom. And that's the, that's the mentor. And then the last one, we look at the priest. The priest even has shadows. The priest can be an addict. The, 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 the lover can, can be needy and obsessed and lost in their senses. We all have these. And so what I want to do is I want to call up um, the band. We're going to start to close. The question becomes, how do we deal with the shadows? Three things. Three things that we need to do to deal with the shadows. Number one is that we have to take ownership over them. Every single one of us knows that we have something in our lives that just holds us back and is this stronghold. But when we become aware of the shadow, that's where we can step into them and we can begin to invite something bigger than ourselves to start to work in us, to start to actually develop those shadows. In the Christian world, that is the word called sanctification. It's just a word that means a process of being set apart and growing. Yeah, the Bible talks about growth, that we are people. We're made to continue to grow spiritually in our four archetypes. We are, we are kings and queens, warriors and warrior, S, prophet and prophetess, priest and priestess, and we've got to develop those. The second thing we have to do is that take our awareness, let's take the awareness, I have these, and now let's move into our sanctuary. Find your sanctuary. Where's the place you go to do the deep work on yourself? to do shadow work? Where do you go to pray? Where do you go to do worship music on your own, not with anybody else? Where do you go to hear from God and actually be honest and tell the truth, I need help? You've got to have a place you go and do that. Otherwise, your faith will most likely be superficial. And when the hard stuff of life hits, you will crumble. One thing I love about Jesus is that he could go through really hard stuff and not fall apart. Amen. And he offers that to us. And then the third thing, you got to find your tribe. You got to find people who are on the same journey, who want to grow. You might have to disconnect from people who don't want to grow. And you got to lean in with the people who do and find your tribe and do life. That's why we offer life groups. Because that's the place that you begin to grow and cultivate. You need help. Last story. If we look back in history, beyond Jesus, not beyond, but just under Jesus, there was a king of Israel named David. And there's this really interesting story to where when David became king, it says that David, this is what it says, David inquired of the Lord. 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 Several times in this story, and every time he inquired of the Lord, other than when he inquired of the Lord where to go to be atoned or uh, to be anointed as king, He's asking for the Lord's guidance and help 
as he goes to physical war with the Philistines, it is waging war. But if we fast forward in David's story, after this, around chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, David is in his kingdom. He sees a woman named Bathsheba, and he goes and he gets her even though she's married. And he manipulates his power. And his lover archetype becomes an addiction. And it lives in the shadow. And guess what the scripture tells us? It's not there. What did he not do in that case? (laughs) He did not inquire of the Lord. He did that on his own. He was a shadow king in that moment. I've always wondered, what did David's inquiring of the Lord look like? I want some. I don't want to live in the shadow. And I love the Psalms because they're David's journals. He shows us what he did, even though he stumbled. And here, here's the close. If we go to Psalm 139, David opens this psalm where he's praising the Lord and acknowledging his power. He's acknowledging that God knows everything. There's nowhere he can hide from the Lord. He says, Lord, you made me in my mother's womb. You knit me together and I love you. And he sets up. It's almost like he's trying to, you know, sweeten up the Lord for what he's about ready to really say. And what he's really wanting to say is, hey, Lord, those people over there, those people over there, I hate them. He's revealing the truth of his heart that he hates people right after he acknowledges that God is the maker of all people. Man, he's got some conflict. But then he does this. He says in verse 23, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. This is probably one of the most dangerous prayers in scripture because it shows us that David has now acknowledged he has shadows and he's aware of them and he has a choice. He can either leave the shadow in his head, in the belly of his soul, pushed down, and he knows it's going to eat him from the inside out and kill him and separate him from God. Or he can lean in and say, Lord, I know I got some stuff in my basement. Will you deal with it? And I know it's going to be painful, and I know I need to be forged by struggle. And I know and I trust in faith that you will make me better on the other side if I deal with it and give it to you. And that's hard work. That's shadow work. If you want to live in the kingdom, I don't know any other way. Just coming on Sundays doesn't put you in the kingdom. (laughs) I know that, that that may hurt. It's owning your faith and going into the sanctuary 
And so, Father God, I ask him to give you a heart of love and a heart and a desire to step into the sanctuary with him and let him do his work and know him and let him bring you out of the shadows because the kingdom of God is waiting. Repent and change your mind. May this bless you. May the Lord speak to you and may he heal you in whatever needs to be, whatever shadow is holding you back and has a stronghold. Lord, we thank you for dealing with us and dealing with this so that we could be free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.